Welcome to the Cover Crop Strategies Podcast. I'm Sarah Hill, Associate Editor. What if you could do more in 2022? TerraSim by New Leaf Symbiotics utilizes the power of microbe technology to increase yield, improve nutrient uptake, and achieve stronger ROI, and is now available in convenient planter box application for corn and soybeans. To learn more and sign up for the 2022 risk-free satisfaction promise, visit newleafsim.com slash 2022. That's newleafsym.com backslash 2022. Today, I'd like to introduce Anthony Bly, Soils Field Specialist with South Dakota State University. Anthony will be discussing soil health and drought. Welcome to the podcast. Today, I'd like to introduce Mike Brocksmith, a grower from Vincennes, Indiana. Mike will be giving us a sneak peek of his upcoming presentation at the 2021 Fall National Cover Crop Summit. Welcome to the podcast, Mike. Well, thank you, Sarah. I'm glad to be here. So give us a, a basic overview of your farm. Um, how long has your family been farming? Uh, my family has been farming four or five generations, and uh, I have been farming full-time since graduating, graduating from college about 40 years ago, and uh, it's, I think, a way of life for us and our family, and very happy to be here. Fantastic. Well, tell us a little bit about your, your family's operation. What type of crops do you all grow? We mainly grow non-GMO corn and soybeans. Uh, we farm in uh, Knox County, Indiana, also a little bit in Davies and Pike County, Indiana. Uh, we farm multiple soil types, mostly highly erodible uh, ground that responds well to no-till and cover crops. Uh, we occasionally raise cereal or grains, wheat or rye, but corn and beans are our bread and butter. Okay. And so to clarify, you all use no-till? We are basically 100% no-till. On my family farm, we had our first attempt at no-till corn in 1977 and have been working at it ever since. Fantastic. So are are there any livestock as part of the operation? At this time, there are, are no livestock. Our farm was a very heavy livestock farm in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and uh, that's one reason we migrated to no-till was mainly to save labor and uh, because the livestock were our priority at that point and, and livestock were very good to us and helped us build the base we have today. Great. So how long have you all been using cover crops then? We have used cover crops on and off my whole career. Uh, earlier on, just in specific instances where we needed to protect the ground from a conservation project or something. And then in the 80s and 90s, we made a a pretty good attempt to make cover crops work on our farm. We struggled. Uh, There wasn't much information available. We had to hunt to find information. And we were using things like uh, Organic Farmers and the Rodale Institute to to try and figure out how to make it work. Uh, Also at that time, the herbicides and uh, Seed technology and the planter attachments weren't as good, and we kind of migrated away from it there in the 90s. And then in about 2010, we jumped back in and basically went whole hog and have been 100% since about 2010. Okay. So back at the beginning, 
beginning of your career, when you all first started using cover crops, what was kind of the motivation behind that decision? The, the, the main motivation for cover crops, as well as no-till, was uh, with soil erosion control. We, again, farm a lot of the highly erodible hill ground. Uh, it's pretty productive ground, but but it is fragile, and it, it doesn't need to be tilled. And uh, the no-till and cover crops are good for fit for it. And so we started cover crops mainly to reduce erosion over the winter and in the early spring. And then as time went on, we kind of learned you know, the benefits of soil health and weed control and raising organic matter, but soil erosion is what drove the original move to cover crops. Okay. And talk with me a little bit about the transition from <clears throat> not having cover crops to going full cover crop. Um, what, what was that transition <clears throat> like for you all? Well, in 2010, when we went back to cover crops, it was much easier. There was a, a lot of people trying it, lots of information available, you know, and we were fortunate in our county and in our state that there's a lot of peer groups and uh, and people people to help us. And uh, it wasn't a hard transition. Uh, I think our probably our biggest struggles all along was, you know, what cover crops to use and how to establish them. Uh, We've always got along relatively good in the spring as far as, as controlling them, burning them down, and planting into them. But uh, it was just a, a gradual learning experience, but it, it really wasn't too painful. Good. So over the decades of your cover crop experience, what challenges have you all encountered <clears throat> along the way, and, and how did you handle those? Well, our, I think we've had the same challenges as everybody. We we needed, we had to learn again, how to establish them. And, and we still struggle with that. Uh, obviously the earlier we can plant them, the better we have, uh, where we're out in Southern Indiana, we can often do a large percent of our harvest in September. And that leads uh, very well to cover crop establishment. Uh, it's not that way every year. Uh, we've tr probably used every method <clears throat> possible to establish broadcasting, Broadcasting and and scratching them in, airplane, uh, grain drill, just about anything. Uh, at this point, our goal is to plant as many acres as we can with a drill, and then if we get toward the end of October and we're not done, we will broadcast probably cereal right over the remaining acres uh, to get something established. So the establishment is still you know the timing. Uh, the, the uh, struggle between harvest priority and getting cover crops planted is still a struggle. People get hurt. People have to go on quarantine. You know, family things come up. So it, there's never enough labor in, in the fall to do what you want to do. Uh, so we still struggle with that. And then in the spring, uh, we I think we've learned that in our case right now, we really like to to plant our corn brown and burn down a couple of weeks earlier than we plant corn. And we really like to plant our beans green in cereal rye and that's that's kind of what we migrated to and uh, I think our planters are equipped to do that under most conditions and and we're not afraid to do that and we have quite a bit of comfort in what we're doing at the moment but again every year we make some changes. So you mentioned that uh, helping control erosion of the soil was one of your goals for using cover crops. Are there some other goals that um, 
you utilize cover crops to work toward? Yes. Uh, again, we started with the erosion control and probably didn't know where we were going with the cover crops, but cereal rye and planting soybeans green into the cereal rye has been a huge boost to our weed control. And, uh, and we try pretty hard to get that cereal rye established on our, all of our corn stalks that are going to beans the next spring. Uh, we're in a pretty well 50-50 rotation. And so we know, basically have a good idea what we're gonna plant the next spring. And uh, the cereal rye has been a great weed control help in the soybeans. And we also think after years of not much change, we're starting to see our organic matter rise some. We were for years in a corn soybean rotation, no-till, but the year that we had soybeans, I don't think we did much to raise our organic matter or help our soil. The soybeans just don't leave much uh, residue to help you over the winter. And so the cover crops after that has been a huge boost to uh, helping the organic matter. And it appears we're also retaining our nutrients much better than we did. We don't necessarily use less nutrients or fertilizer, but we are raising more bushels per acre on the same amount. So we're comfortable with that too. So you mentioned cereal rye as one of the cover crop species that you all use. Are there any other cover crop species that you're that you work with a lot? Uh, we've probably used everything and we experiment every year with a bag or two of something here or there. Our, our mainstays have been cereal rye and spring oats. Uh, we've also used quite a bit of barley in the past. We, for many years, used the mix of, of cereal rye, barley, and spring oats. We like that. Uh, the barley seemed a little more expensive if we had to purchase it and maybe a little harder to kill in the spring. And we've kind of just simplified things. But basically, early in the fall, every acre will get cereal rye and spring oats. And if it's hopefully before October 10th, we also will throw in maybe a pound of radishes or some other crop like that. We've also <clears throat> used rapeseed quite often. <clears throat> we like rapeseed because it can make it over the winter and and the earthworms really seem to love the rape, rape plants in the spring and their root mass. Uh, so there's not a 100% recipe this fall. I think we probably got three or four, five different mixes we tend to use, but most of them bank on cereal rye and spring oats early in the year. After we get later in October, toward the end, it's just cereal rye is what we use. Where we are at in Southern Indiana, we can usually just completely broadcast cereal rye and even in November on the surface. And by March, it will be green. And then by April, we'll have a nice crop of cereal rye. It's been very dependable, very tough. And so it's kind of been our backbone. So you mentioned in a couple different times when you do seed those cover crops and you said as early as possible, how early in the fall do you tend to get cover crops seeded? Well, I guess our, our goal is to be immediately after the combine. Uh, I, th I think our most people's goal here in Southern Indiana is to start harvest is very shortly after Labor Day, which would be uh, first week or so of September. Uh, honestly, most years, it's more the middle of September. Uh, so that's kind of the kickoff. And and we try try hard to get started right away on cover crops. And so in our area, if we can plant something in September, we can have a, a lot of growth by Christmas. Uh, 
And so the earlier the better, <clears throat> but we don't, I don't think we ever give up till Thanksgiving. So that's kind of our plan. Good two month window in there. Yes. So where do you all seed or where do you all source your cover crop <laughs> seed from? Well, we have multiple sources. Uh, we're lucky we have a, a good relationship with, with a couple of fertilizer dealers who can help us. And we have a, a very good independent seed warehouse in our, in our town of Vincennes, who's, who's very good to work with and can obtain cover crops and, and hope occasionally even get us something a little off the wall to try. So we've got relationships with those folks. Uh, we also routinely raise some of our cereal grains for ourselves and keep those, uh, which is helpful on the cost. We don't have an exact budget on cover crops, but we obviously try not to spend too much money. We probably like to keep it at around $10 an acre, you know, depending on the circumstances out of our pockets on seed costs, but that's not a concrete number. And we kind of tailor each field and each crop to what we think it needs. So not only do we adjust species, but we definitely adjust the rate of seed per acre, depending on the erosion or, or river scarring or whatever we're trying to do with that crop in that field. Okay. Now you mentioned earlier that you've used multiple different methods to seed cover crops. What would you say has been the most effective method and the one that you have found to have the, the best success? Well, I think we've, I think we've known in, in, in the back of our mind, uh, the whole, say 20 or 30 years that drilling is 100% the most effective, efficient, uh, successful method. Uh, it's been hard to do that with, with the labor. You know, we've all rationalized and said, well, you know, this isn't quite as good as drilling, but it's, you know, it's what we got to do, you know, with the broadcasting and, and the seeding, uh, you know, scratching in or some kind of other method. But, but all the other methods depend on, on precipitation for, uh, for emergence in a good cover crop stand. We're drilling when we put that seed into the soil and mash it in there, uh, we're pretty well guaranteed we're going to get a good stand. And we've been amazed at how little moisture it takes to bring a cover crop up if we drill it. Uh, here in, in southern Indiana in September, it's not uh, unusual at all to have 90 degree sunny days in September, maybe even a few days in October. And uh, and the seed laying on top of the ground or in the residue is not going to do anything until we have a good wet spell. But if we drill it, it's, it gets to work right away. So So again, Drilling's the preferred method. It's also the most time-consuming, hardest method. It, on our farm, it takes at least one individual completely devoted to cover crops if we're going to make it happen. And again, the harvest pressure or paranoia, you know, takes over as it should. And and the cover crop guy gets pulled off to drive a truck or run a grain setup or or you know whatever needs to be done. And 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 that's just at this point how it has to be. Uh, but, but we like drilling and, uh, I'll give my son-in-law credit. He bought a, a big drill a few years ago, uh, and made a commitment to making cover crop work and, uh, it fit right in with my goals and, and it's, it's what we like to do, but it is, it is the hardest method. We'll be right back to the podcast, but first I want to thank our sponsor, what if you could do more in 2022? TerraSim by New Leaf Symbiotics utilizes the power of microbe technology to increase yield, improve nutrient uptake, 
and achieves stronger ROI and is now available in convenient planner box application for corn and soybeans. To learn more and sign up for the 2022 risk-free satisfaction promise, visit newleafsim.com slash 2022. That's newleafsym.com backslash 2022. And now back to the podcast. So let's talk a little bit about equipment. What kind of drill do you all use to drill in those covers? And then what what type of tractor pulls that drill? At this time, we have a, a John Deere commodity drill. It's an air drill, 40 foot wide, single disc openers. It carries approximately 100 bushel of seed on the drill. Uh, we can pull it with whatever is available. It could be a red tractor or a green tractor. We are pretty well colorblind on this farm as far as as a mix of equipment. Uh, so whatever whatever we can find to pull it, it really doesn't matter. And, you know, tractors are generic. The drills are the important part. It's been a good drill. It's it. There's quite a bit of maintenance involved to, to making the drill work. In the last few winters, we've pretty well disassembled it in our shop and spent two or three work, weeks working on it and several thousand dollars. But we got to remember that, uh, you know, our seed costs are lower with the drill and, and we're very efficient and, and it's doing what we want it to do. So, so we're happy with the drill. Again, there's two sides to the drill story, the, the good cover crops and then the maintenance and labor to make the drill drilling work. But that's our plan right now. And our plan right now is to drill as many acres as possible. The drill also plants about half of our bean crop in the spring. So, it far and away gets more acres on it than, than the corn planter or the other bean planter. So we have to remember that too when we're writing the big checks for the repair bill. The, the problem with the drill is there's 64 units or openers on that drill. So if, if something only costs $100 a row, you don't think much about it. And then you realize all of a sudden, well, that's $6,400. And you can do that you know, once or twice a year. So that's the downside of the drill. All right. Well, um, you mentioned a little bit ago that you use a different seeding rate uh, depending on what the goals are for each individual field. On on average, what would you say is the the seeding rate that you use across all the different fields? Probably thirty to forty pounds of cereal cereal grains of you know rye or oats or whatever is probably the average. Uh, they're high erodible ground, or we have some ground at the river can uh, run over and scar the ground or, you know, take off the topsoil. On those fields, we will push the rates up to protect from erosion more. And occasionally on the, on the really good flat uh, bottom ground, uh, creek bottom ground that doesn't flood, that we know is going to corn, we probably will back the rates down a little bit. Uh, we have to make sure that the, the corn planter can do a good job in the spring. We don't, at least in our case, we don't like planting into a really thick mat or a sod. And we want to make sure we keep the corn planter guy happy too. So we, you know, we adjust as we go and and try to have a plan, at, you know, at the beginning of the fall and and each field can be a different rate, but we, it, it just depends on what we want to accomplish in that field on the rate. So earlier, correct me if I'm wrong. I think you said that you had had some experience planting green. Is that right? Absolutely. We've, we planted green, soybeans green for, approximately 10 years we dabbled with planting corn green and occasionally still do but we don't really plan to uh, we are better equipped 
plant soybeans green, and they respond very well to the to the cereal rye. Uh, we planted in cereal rye from a foot tall to six or seven foot tall green in the last 10 years. We kind of eased into it there in like 2010, 11, 12 on planting the soybeans green and did a few acres each year. And then we just made the commitment to do it. And I think the first year that we we went whole hog on on the planting soybeans green, it was a late spring and most of our soybeans were planted in the six and seven foot tall rye. And I was quite nervous. And I, I believe our neighbors thought we'd lost our marbles. And But it worked out very well. And I think that that year there made us uh, committed to making it work on soybeans. And, and I think in the future, we will work toward it more on corn, but with us raising non-GMO corn, we need to make sure we have our weeds well-controlled before we plant and, and the herbicide options aren't quite as readily available for post-emergence applications. So, so that's the plan right now is soybeans green, corn brown. So uh, you mentioned that you've planted green uh, at various stages of the cereal rise growth. When do you prefer to plant green into that cereal rye? At, at what stage is the cereal rye at when, when that happens? I think if I had my choice, I would plant it all between probably knee high and waist high. Uh, you know, obviously we want some growth. So the cereal rye does what we want it to do. Uh, but then it, when we get, you know, above four or five foot tall or when it begins to, to seed and pollinate, it presents a few other problems and some visibility problems for obstacles in the field. So I would say knee high to waist high would be our preference if we could, could pick this, the right size. So you mentioned uh, visibility uh, being one of those challenges. What are some other challenges that you've had uh, while planting green? Uh, we've had... A few run-ins with armyworms, which you could probably have in other planting situations as well. And and also we have not uh, learned how to manage slugs. They are very hit and miss. They've really only been a problem one one time since we've been planting green. Uh, still trying. I don't think there's an exact answer. Uh, warm weather helps, but we tend to plant soybeans in April if we can. Uh, slugs are very seasonal. When they come, they come. And so we don't have the answers to that problem, but those are probably been the biggest problems. Then we also have fight of, of O problem, which is pretty common with any kind of no-till situation. So do you all apply any fertilizer to your cover crops? We don't specifically apply fertilizer for the cover crops. We, uh, you know, fertilize our, our corn and bean crops every year. Uh, but not just for the cover crops, but we view the cover crops as something that is there that can, can uh, take up the fertilizer and hold it on our farm and help us utilize it. Okay. Um, so let's talk a little bit about terminating those cover crops. Um, how do you, what is your method for termination? Our method is herbicide at this point, strictly herbicide. Uh, on the soybeans, we tend to use a mixture of, of a Roundup or, or some kind of glyphosate and some residual herbicides, either at planting a day before or a day or two after planting uh, for the beans. For corn, we prefer to go one to two weeks ahead of planting if we can, and the herbicide program varies. Um, 
we've used quite a bit of actually gramoxone and paraquat in front of our corn program with some liquid nitrogen mixed in. We like that because it turns the field brown within a day or two. And, and I think that helps with insects and weed control. So that's kind of been our, our program at this time. So uh, what do you use to apply that herbicide then? Uh, at this point, we use a, a John Deere sprayer with a 100-foot boom. Okay. So uh, what would be your advice to growers who maybe are just getting started with cover crops or are pretty new to the practice? I, I think my advice would be, first and foremost, get help. There's Get help, get information. There's lots of people willing to help. Uh, you got extension, you got soil conservation. Uh, most, or at least our state, I think most states have other conservation groups that are readily available and trying to enha enhance soil health. So get help. Uh, you don't have to go it alone. And my next advice would be to start small and just ease into it. And probably very important is also make sure you don't do something in the fall that you can't plant into in the spring. You got to be thinking ahead. What changes have you seen in the soil health on your farm since you implemented cover crops? Well, obviously, we have reduced soil erosion. We still are not happy with the soil erosion we have. Any is too much, but we've definitely reduced it. As a rule, the water leaving our farms is, is clearer and clean or clearer than clean than, than in a tillage situation. So that, that goal has definitely been obtained, uh, still room for improvement. Uh, and then, as we talked earlier, we've, we've came along on the soil health. Our soil is definitely uh, more supportive of equipment. It's got much more tilth. It's, it's more friendly to plant into. The top two inches is very mellow and uh, dark and has lots of organic matter. So we've seen lots of positive results. Uh, it's, and honestly, probably the, our tougher soils, like our sands and our eroded clay hills, the better the results have been from the cover crops. What would you say is the, the top three things that you have learned through your experiences using cover crops? Okay, I'd say that, first of all, cover crops can do everything they're advertised to do. You, you know, when you read in the magazine, you never know what to believe, but cover crops can reduce erosion. Uh, they definitely uh, improve soil health in many ways. They help on weed control. Over time, they can help build organic matter. Uh, and then we haven't even talked about, you know, the potential capturing carbon or some of those things, but there's lots of upside to cover crops. Uh, second, I would say that cover crops can make a difference in year one, the first year you use them. There's, you know, always been talk that when you switch to a no-till program, you need two to four or five years to see improvements in your soil. Cover crops make a difference immediately, year one, uh, definitely year one, you have erosion control, nutrient retention, and the beginnings of improving your soil. So cover crops can can provide an, a result immediately. And probably last, cover crops require a lot of management. You have to, you know, plan ahead and treat them like a regular crop. You, the, probably in May and June, you need to be thinking about the seed and your plan for the fall and get that implemented so you can do get the seed you want to. Uh, cover crops aren't something you ideally you do after harvest. You know, if you, if you have a good fall and you get done harvesting early, you just don't say, Oh, I think we'll, we'll plant cover crops now. So 
it's something you need to be dedicated to. Uh, timing is important. So hopefully you can get them established during harvest. Uh, and it just it requires uh, a plan, dedication, but there are definitely rewards. So uh, this is kind of a loaded question, but you're right in the middle of harvest right now. And how is seeding cover crops going so far this fall? Well, uh, we've had a good run. We started harvest uh, approximately September 11th or 12th. Uh, got some cover crops planted right away. Actually had one field we planted in August where we did some construction work. So we are off to a good start. Uh, actually, I myself got quarantined and nobody wanted to be around me. They treated me like a leper. So I was able to get in my tractor cab and plant cover crops during that seven to 10 day period and had a really good run. Uh, since then, we've had a few bumps in the road with some help and employees and injuries. And right now we're just kind of scrambling to I guess see what's next and get back to it. And we also had a rainy spell, which kept us out of the field. That is that is a downside to the drill is the combines can run a day or two uh, before the drill can after every rain. So the combines can get ahead of ways and, and it's hard to catch up, but we've had a, uh, we've got off to a good start. We're probably half done with cover crops and optimistic. Hopefully we'll have, you know, some open weather and we here in Southern Indiana, we have time to, uh, to get them in yet. Great. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thanks so much for joining us, Mike. Well, thank you for your time and, and glad to share information. Join us for the Fall 2021 National Cover Crop Summit on November 16th and 17th for two days of convenient online cover crop learning. It's absolutely free to sign up, but listeners of this podcast are invited to save 50% on all access registration for VIP benefits. With this exclusive discount, you can pay just $25 for access to a can't-miss lineup of on-demand learning sessions featuring today's most successful cover crop adopters, researchers and agronomists sharing their best seeding strategies, grazing and feeding tips, variety selection secrets, and more. Visit CoverCropStrategies.com summit and use discount code PODCAST25 at checkout. Once again, I want to thank our sponsor, what if you could do more in 2022? TerraSim by New Leaf Symbiotics utilizes the power of microbe technology to increase yield, improve nutrient uptake, and achieve stronger ROI, and is now available in convenient planter box application for corn and soybeans. To learn more and sign up for the 2022 risk-free satisfaction promise, visit newleafsim.com slash 2022. That's newleafsym.com backslash 2022. For more information about all things Cover Crops, visit us online at covercropstrategies.com.